1: Welcome to the mouth of manliness. We're on a, another Zoom episode today because we are currently in lockdown. And I'm very, very happy to have Jason Reed on. Jason is someone I've actually wanted to get on for a little while. Now, Jason does uh, the Stop and Search podcast and a new podcast called um, So I'll Start a Revolution from My Bed. That's right, isn't it? That's it. From um, Oasis Gym.
0: Yeah, that was, that was where the title came from. It's. Yeah. I must admit, <clears throat> I am, excuse me, my throat has gone straight away. I must admit, I am someone from the 90s. And that line has always just stood out to me. So when, when I did this new one, I was like, that's perfect. I'll go with that. I hope I've not copyright infringed. Probably have, but yeah, we'll see. Well, Noel's
1: done it enough times.
0: Yeah, it's
1: true. <laughs> right over the years and he's like, fair enough, I'll pay it. I won't yeah. worry too much.
0: Just, just don't tell the Beatles. And we'll be fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. So how old are you, Jason?
0: I turned 40 in February, which I still can't believe because my parents are 40. I'm not. It, yeah. you know, 40 happens to someone else. But it happened and apparently I'm an adult and I don't know how that happened either. But yeah, there you go.
1: Yeah, I'm 44. Uh, I, I remember um, turning 30, I liked, and I kind of liked 40 as well. There's it, it a bit about um, you've done all the, all the crap is done. You know, like all that kind of, you know, heartbreak, that's definitely done now. Uh, and then it was like kids are done now, house is done. And then there was this nice sense of relief. And then there was like, oh, what do I do now?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've I've got my first child on the way, and it is yeah, it's daunting in one way, but another way, we're like like we were saying just before we start recording, you know, we're on the conveyor belt now. Let's let's just run with it. Let's see how, how this goes. And it's almost nice when you have fate taking the circumstances for you, because that way, you just run with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. My, I, my, my wife had cancer like five years ago now, oh. and um, and it was, I've said it before, you just get on the cancer bus, it's like, right, you're on now, and then you just do what you're told, go to a do what you're told, uh, and it's actually kind of quite easy, I mean, it's upsetting and all of those kind of things, but yeah, I do think in life you do get those opportunities when you just like jump on the bus. When I had my kids, I was exactly the same. I was like, I just have to do what they tell me, pretty much. But yeah. I
0: still kind of
1: do.
0: And also, there's something to be said for putting yourself in the hands of professionals that have been there, done that, and that's what they do for a living. Yeah. Because, you know, we we don't know what we're doing. We're, we're a couple of morons still. We we feel 21. But when you go to the midwife's appointment, she's like, no, you've got this. You know, your, your bodies are meant for this. You, you will cope. And also, it's, it's great when you get advice from people like you that have been there, done that, because... The amount of people have said to us you don't need all the baby crap you know consolidate all the the gubbins that, that that you need because you don't need that that poofs and all this thing over here and that help. that's helpful as well
1: I reckon at least 45 uh, well three quarters of everything you buy you don't really end up using you just get and especially when you come like we come the second kid like we didn't use it, any of it you just use like just a Moses basket it'd be alright it's, uh, it, it, I mean, and it's fucking hard work, but it is, um, it's just totally doable, you know, like you get tired, but it's doable, you just get on with it, like, you do not got, that's the thing, when you get lumbered with a kid, you haven't got a lot of choice, if you're a responsible person who cares, like, you, you're you just going to get on with it, it's like, it, it just is what it is, and all of a sudden, it that's what it is, and that's it, uh, should, I, I should we be
0: scared? Do you reckon we should be scared in this? Should be scared? Yeah.
1: No. It, uh, I, I remember um we had kind of nightmare births, but uh, especially my daughter, who's twelve, nearly twelve. Um but I remember like the first night getting home and you're like, shit, dog, there's no backup now. And I and just I I just, because my wife had a caesarean the first time, I kind of had to do everything. And I had loads of time off of work, and I just totally just went, just relinquished myself to the role of dad. And I really got into it. It was all right. You know, I just slept when I could. Um, I remember like waking up at three o'clock in the morning, feeding my daughter downstairs, whilst getting through every episode of The Sopranos. Uh, and uh, I just like this is all right. I can do this
0: it's totally doable it's it, there's a part of me because of my illness thinking I can do this because I am up at that kind of three o'clock in the morning shift and then the other half of me is like oh god here we go Yeah, what drain is this going to put on my physical health and I don't know what balance I've got just yet the, the, the mental health is kind of flicking between the two but I think between us, yeah, we're, we're a good team. We, we communicate. We never argue, me, me and my partner. Yeah, me and my hope, wife don't argue.
1: We'll
0: I think that's right. going to help, hopefully, touch wood.
1: It does. But I think sometimes if you, what I think, um, like my, me and my wife don't argue, we never really have. Um, but then you have to remember that you've got to say the things you've got to say still. Mm. You know, because sometimes it's like, well, I don't want to have an argument, so I just won't say it. And then with kids, you're like, it starts to build up. And you think, I should have just said it then, because now, actually, it's going to be really horrible and we've gone beyond it. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of... We had to train ourselves to actually talk properly because um, it can be hard when you're in the fog of children.
0: <laughs> I, I'm really going to quote you on that. It's hard in the fog of children. That's perfect. I love that. <laughs> it
1: is hard, but as I say, it's totally doable. Well, I, I used to hate it. So many people who would always... Um, Oh, it's beautiful! It's just wonderful, and it's like, it's not. There's not that much of that. (laughs) It's mostly like, it's mostly like doing a really hard job. (laughs) Yeah, with a few little moments, and you're like, oh.
0: (laughs) Yeah, all all, all the kind of ah moments go on Facebook, and and yeah, it's uh, we're looking forward to it. But doing doing it during lockdown's been tricky because we've not been able to do any preparation. So that is kind of building up and thinking when are we are, when can we go out and try a buggy and things like that? So that's where lockdowns proved a pain in the arse. I just got uh,
1: the I just got a buggy that would fit in a Fiesta. It kind of really simplified it. it was like, What one fits in a Fiesta? And then we bought one of those systems where you're like you got a bit that you can take them out in, and it will turn into a push chair. And then by the time they get to a point of being in a push chair, you're so sick of this massive thing that you've been dragging in and out of your boot and that. Like, I just bought a cheap fold up push chair. <laughs> it's like sorted. Yeah. Sorted. It would like go anywhere. It's like, it's just not worth spunking loads of money on it.
0: <laughs> I didn't realise like, that push chairs were like transformers. There are there are so yeah. many that going to like Optimus Prime level contraptions. You know, like, yeah. how do people handle this? And this is, yeah, it's a mind shield. I wonder there's so many people out there that literally do that as a job of guiding you through the pram process
1: yeah yeah and the car seats and all of that stuff uh i found when we came when we had jude we just used real basic stuff which so much easier like the systems and that ditched them all just used real basic stuff so, so i'm
0: going to rig up a skateboard with just like this rudimentary seat <laughs> on it and just go like oh, that'd do because we got a small car as well and he's like yeah, that'd do that fit in there
1: Oh, you'll end up getting a bigger car, don't worry about that. (laughs) When uh, our our first got covered in, like, milk puke and loads and loads of it, it it's like, I'd rather be sitting a bit further away from that. Right. So, tell me, So you mentioned about health problems. Tell me about that then, Jason. Because you've mentioned it, I think, before on, like, socials.
0: Yeah, so every so often, I mean, it's this very week, actually, that it's ME Awareness Week, which is what I've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, actually, not always it next week. I can't remember. But it's it's one of those things I'm still not comfortable talking about it in in one way because you constantly feel like you're taking a run-up to it. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you just don't know how much you are talking about it and you don't want to be defined by it. You know, first of all, I'm Jason, this, this weird div. But then... I've written for The Independent about it. I've written on Virgin about it. I wrote a piece for Virgin years ago saying that Richard Branson put me to sleep in his house because we did some filming for The Culture High, which is a documentary that I produced. And I was so knackered during that filming schedule because it was two weeks of so just solid schedule. Yeah. And by the time we got to his house, I was absolutely exhausted. And then as we was interviewing him, I started to fall asleep. And famously with M.E., your sleep pattern goes out the window. Uh, so I wrote about that. And then there's another place I've written recently. Oh, I was, I was in the Metro that I just wrote, wrote a piece on the quarantine diary and how it affects me. So, and also I've done a Pips podcast, Scooby's Pip. Um, last year, I did Emmy Awareness for him. And it's, it's an illness that I think best can be described of, it's like having flu constantly and the worst case of flu you've ever had. Um, but without knowing the reasons behind it, because the, the funding isn't there to, to work out what is going with ME. I've had it since the age of eight, and I'm now 40. Really, really? And it, it's, it hasn't progressed. It's, it's still exactly the same. It's still shrouded in mystery. It's still shrouded in stigma. And you've people that say, oh, you're just a bit tired. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you get jokes, but yeah, you are the, 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 the illness that gets angled at. Prime example, Ricky Gervais, I love his work, but he has done some stuff on ME that isn't great. Um, and there's someone else as well another comedian that's always angled at ME and it's just not understood so people like me that are a little bit more on a public platform because of the channels I've got I feel this responsibility to go well look I'm a person first this is what I need to talk to you about about the illness you don't you never quite know when to get the balance right because am I talking about too much and I'm now being defined by it or am I not doing enough and not helping out the people that haven't got a voice? Uh, and that's the constant battle that you have in your head of just what is the right amount of talking about it, which as I imagine is the same for mental health and why you do this podcast.
1: Yeah, I, um, I guess for me, it's like if I've got, if someone's asking about it or someone talks about it and I'm in earshot, I'm kind of there. Like I feel some responsibility to kind of set the record straight a bit uh, and to get people understanding. Um, but it doesn't it. I, I don't really feel it as a burden, but then again, I'm a bit of a born again, you know, mental health evangelist. It's, it, it's, it's been set. Part of my journey has been, and getting better has been realizing that not talking about it causes the problem. Mm. So it, They've kind of gone hand in hand. Um, do you know Eddie? Eddie had Emmy. No. Yeah, and it really, it had him really badly. And, um, you know, and it really shook his mental health. Uh, we've talked about it quite a bit. And uh, he's not long, kind of, maybe in the last year, kind of seen it off. Um, my brother-in-law has suffered from it for a long time. I've never known
0: anyone to suffer with it as long as you have, though. Yeah, quite often you do find that, that it is longer term. I don't want to be foreboding, but the people that I know haven't tended to make any recovery from it. Because there's, there's, there's some examples out there. Um, someone close to my area called Jessica, who runs a place called World from One Room, um, she's had it most of her life and she's confined to a bed. And you find that there's, there's, there's just the various different degrees on the scale. I've gone from being bed bound to house bound to managing to get out to manage to do something and then regression again. And it all depends on how much you do. Yeah. yeah there's if you get overconfident and you go, okay, now I've got this chance. are you're going to go crashing back down again. And that's why you find a lot of athletes get it. Like Roger Black famously had it. He was, I, I don't know if you remember Roger Black, he was 400 meter runner in the Olympics in about 92, 96. Yeah. Uh, and it's again, you, you over train and then your body almost starts to break down. And that's what I found is that I, I'm someone that pushes and pushes and pushes myself. So, prime example, I, I trained in karate at the age of four. Uh, and it was it's a, it's a style called Kyokushinkai, which is, if you Google it, uh, it's got this, I don't know if it's a good legacy or a bad legacy because it's like, it's like considered the most extreme style of martial arts because it's just so disciplined. And I did that from the age of four to about 10. And I was on course to be the youngest black belt in the country at it. But that process, in many ways, it's done me a lot of good because I've got the, the, the mental clarity that comes with it. But a lot of people think that that might be one of the reasons that my body broke down because right. I physically pushed it too far. And, and you see that as well with entertainment figures like Martine McCutcheon. She's, yep. she's suffered with it. And um, there's a few other high-profile cases that if you just push and extend yourself too much, eventually the body just breaks down. Um, that, yeah that I mean that happens to the best of us, yeah you know, like
1: that kind of like that happens with me if i 'm like pushing things and trying to make things happen so much in the end i'm like exhausted and like, my mental health suffers, mm. so it happens to the best
0: of us and then times it by a thousand, and we're somewhere near where you are but, and it's and the thing is I always say to people there's no hierarchy in suffering, so mm-hmm. for example you've been really self deprecating there of saying. Yeah, you know, it's nothing like what you've gone through. It is. It's relative to you. Yeah, and no one needs to go. It's not as bad as you because you could argue I'm not as bad as what your wife has had. It is. its is has been through cancer treatment. I've. She might not have it as bad as this person over here. But it's it's circular. You know, no one's got it worse or better than anyone else because it's relative to their circumstance.
1: Yeah. No, you're totally right. Yeah, I can't agree with you. could not agree with you more. And I, I mean, isn't there a lot of issue about um, like formal diagnosis?
0: Yeah, because it still hasn't got any kind of biomarkers. So you can get, you know, they found irregularities in my blood and there's there's chances that I, I think there's something wrong with adrenal function with it as well. So if I, like, for example, because I'm talking to you now, I've had to get ready for it, set myself up to make sure that I'm cognitively aware. I've almost got my adrenal, adrenal function at the moment is kind of going over time to make sure that I'm on the ball. And then after this, there'll be a massive dump where I'll just completely crash out on the floor. And I think that there is something within the adrenal function, but it's just my speculation. Yeah. But the diagnosis process is bloody hard because there isn't, you can't just go, "Yeah, there you go, it showed up in your, in your biomarkers and therefore you've got it. A lot of it is tick box and that's where the stigma comes from because there's nothing necessarily tangible. A lot of us have gone through the psychiatric... Uh, it's you, so
1: similar, yeah, yeah and and that's
0: it yeah yeah and it's by all means you know let's talk about mental health and i've always been very clear that you know we need to have that aspect into it as well because it's all holistic but don't be at the detriment of the fact that there is physical aspects as well which is what the constant battle with this is and there's there's doctors still you know like i said it's over thirty years now that I've had it, and the doctor's still stuck in the dark age of going. No, let's just let's just talk to you. We'll we'll talk you out of it. And it's just, oh for God's sake. Yeah, there was this
1: thing on Radio Four today. I was listening to in the car, and they were talking about um, like health needs to change. It needs to take put be much more holistic. Be put in like physical with the mental, and then we'll get a much better picture of things. And I'm like, I totally agree. Cause I mean, there's been so many times when I've been physically ill. Like, if I am start to become mentally ill, I tend to become physically ill as well. Like, they, it pretty much always goes together. Um, and yeah, I don't think there's a lot of difference in it. And again, like, I've, you know, how long did it take me to get a diagnosis? And then even then, it was, it's
0: a tick box and you're like, man, I'm not sure. And that's why, you know, com- points of comfort are so crucial to everybody, I find, but especially people that have been through similar situations to this. And, and just get a cheap plug in there. But this is why the, the new podcast that I do, the, so I started revolution from my bed. It's all about mindfulness. In I use that in air quotes because it's it's almost become an overused term, uh, but it's about making sure you look after yourself. Yeah. And because a lot of people, I mean, I, I think you're probably the same is that quite often you do think of others, put others first and don't necessarily have self care correctly. So for me, the evening is a really crucial point of my health of getting all the decks clear, having points of comfort and relaxation, comfort films, comfort smells, and just indulging in yourself and not in any kind of nasty, horrible way, just in a draw the curtains, let's have some care. And that's what this new podcast is about. Is like, what's your favorite comfort film? What box, you know, you mentioned the Sopranos, what will you go through? Is that kind of escapism? And, all
1: those kind of I, aspects. I really, I agree with that, and I totally agree with um, you know like mindfulness and that kind of thing. I actually, I think most of the things that you hear uh, kind of banding around around these kind of topics and the ways of getting better, they all sound cheesy as hell. Yeah. But now I don't know. One day someone's got to come up with a, a much cooler way of phrasing it all, but and um, even if one doesn't work completely there'll be elements that will work yeah I, I totally believe in the um yeah stop being so hard on yourself you know like yeah, yeah just let yourself off give yourself a bit of space you know those kind of things but um i remember uh, i was having cbt and the guy doing it it was brilliant um but I was kind of gone beyond CBT a bit by then. Um, And he's saying you need to engage with your core beliefs. What the fuck are my core beliefs? Like, I don't like sexism or racism. I don't have core beliefs. No, no. Um, And basically it boiled down to doing the things that you like doing as often as you can. Yeah. Because they make you feel better and they make you feel good about yourself. And, And you're like, just say that. (laughs) <laughs> That's so obvious, but it's true. Especially when you've got you know kids and everything, and you it's busy. But there are there are opportunities to take that space.
0: I, I found this completely in in the lockdown period. There was there was a lot of people that are you know normal people. You know again in air quotes that really struggled. They you know they've been on social media going right today's been a really bad day. And of course, you've got other people going. Well, I've been, you know, I've, you know, look at this person over here that's been housebound for thirty years. They're not complaining. Again, that's not how it works. You know, if you've had a life of relative normality, of course you're going to feel it being in lockdown. So I've taken it almost as a bit of my duty to someone that has been in their own surroundings most of their life to just not try and help because that's patronising, but just try and the things that I've learned, try and bestow that on others. So if you if you have been in the house all day. Still try and make relaxation an event. Get yourself set up for it. Don't just squander it on the phone, on the sofa, flicking through Facebook going, okay, now it's time for bed. Get everything done. Get showered, whatever you need to do. Put yourself in front of the TV, watch something really cool, or stick earphones on and lose yourself in music. Set yourself up for a relaxation event. Don't just squander it.
1: Yeah, like I separate, you know, like I often think. Well, I want to start my evening now. I want the kids to go away, and I want to start my evening. Yeah, and like it's the same kind of thing. So, what's pretty cool though is that if this you've had this illness for most of your life, but then you were just telling me some of the amazing things you've achieved and done, like. You know, in spite of that, you've still managed to achieve. Because I was, didn't... Do you write for Huffington Post? I saw on your, um, on your uh, Facebook thing, and Vice as well.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, like, again, That's I've been really cool lucky. Things. Like, yes, yeah, so some of the bylines I've had have been The Independent, Vice, Huffington Post. I think written for the British Medical Journal, which is just, again, absolutely bizarre. Because I had no education. Literally didn't go to school because of the illness. And then I wrote it for the most prestigious medical magazine in the entire world <laughs> it's just it doesn't make sense to me to this day and it's it's one of those that i use the the swan analogy so you may be floating along the surface all serene but underneath is a frantic paddle and that's what <laughs> this, this is what it's like is that i've got i've got some great accolades and i've been so lucky in some of the things i've done the films that i've been involved in one of them was long listed for the oscar um, I've worked with so many, you know, well-known faces, but how the backstory behind it is a very different story to the sheen that's on in the front of it. yeah, so my you know, mum and dad are so proud of, you know, oh, he's done this now, he's done that, but then it can almost be detrimental because then if you get someone that's a bit cynical, they go, well, if he can do that, why can't he do that? And you know, why has he not managed to come along to my birthday party, that he's just managed to produce a film that's been in line for an Oscar? things like that
1: that's like pays the bills didn't it So like your party don't pay the bills mate
0: <laughs> well a lot of what i do because of you know well, no doubt we'll get onto it of drug policy and things like that a lot of it is actually voluntary there's not much in the way that because this is this is the other aspect that i eventually need to get around to addressing and it's something funny enough just before we went and we on air um there's a comedian called jacob hawley that's that does podcasts for the BBC. And he's got a new one out about um jobs and what's going on in the jobs market now that you know corona's hit yeah. um and i tweeted him because i've had connections with him for a little while and i said to him are you interested in something within the disability and how can we carry the conversation forward with people with non-standardized health how can we make sure that they have a place in the workplace because this is what i found is that quite often you can take single jobs or you can get a little bit of this example i i'm having a ball writing for pod bible with with stuart whiffin and that's what one of the things i'm really really enjoying at the moment
1: yeah i'm I'm sure you i'm sure we talked briefly about that before online i thought you were doing that
0: yeah and, and it's i i cover um podcasts with a social conscience so ones that are out there to start a conversation yeah um and with the with going back to the job aspect is that Again, because of my health, I have to be a lot of times remote-based. I can go into London uh, if, I, if I've if i got the right conditions. But how can we make sure that when we come out of lockdown that we are still enabling people with disabilities to have a place working and that they're catered for? You know, if we're not... I, I can't do nine to five. So what can we do that's task-based? What can we do that is really thinking outside the box of working environments remotely... But also making sure that we don't have this rigid time frame and having something that's more conducive to everybody, and that's the next conversation.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a good. I think it's a completely right conversation to have. I was. Uh, I have. Um, Sorry, therapy on Monday mornings, and that was the conversation we were having actually. Because I'm doing all right, we generally just have a bit of a chat sometimes, and it was about actually what some some good things have come because have come about because of this uh, virus you know like people it shows that we can get on with things and uh, people can work from home and we can be a bit more inclusive with people because of that and um, hoping that some of those messages will carry on forward so for example yeah task-based working have you done what you need to do yeah you know, you don't have to be at the computer at nine o'clock yeah. to do it. You can have a rest in the middle of the day. I've had similar things with my work because of my mental health. Those kind of conversations have had to be had before. And I have to make some concessions.
0: And and that's crucial, is what you just said there, of having a rest at the times you need it. Yeah. Because if you give me a job to do, I'll get there. But you you don't want to see how i get there, because it will be by hook or by crook and crawling over broken glass.
1: But it shouldn't matter... Uh, I mean, if if you're looking at just what the outcome is, and your boss, the, the guy upstairs, wants that, and you yeah. produce it, then what does it? It shouldn't matter to them particularly, as long as you're being looked after as you need to be.
0: And, and that's why we do need to have that conversation, because, yeah, like you I said, Corona has shown us that we can we can do things different. So let's carry that forward.
1: Yeah, yeah, I hope we do learn some lessons from all of this because it has shown like overnight everyone changed their way of working and the world yeah. still went on. And suddenly it wasn't just about the economy. Thank That's crucial. Sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, we'll just, I just fear that we'll go back into this. Well, let's all worry about money again. And now, and it's just almost like everyone's been told like, I know some people are obviously in a very difficult position. But in essence, it's like, everyone just chill out. <laughs> Don't forget yeah. about it. You can't go out and buy stuff, which we're all told you should be doing all the time. So just sit, be with your family. And I, I think there's so good about that.
0: I've, I've been so boring to the people around me because there have been so many people have been going, and obviously we do need to be concerned with this, but what is going to happen to the economy? Um, and there is so many industries that are suffering. You know, Like I said, I've got a partner that's in the heritage and tourism trade and of course on the other end of this are people going to be able to still go out there and visit visitor attractions the comedy world is on its knees and i know so many comedians and bless them they're struggling but the other aspect is that the economy is a man-made thing when our oxygen food and water runs out that's when we've got a problem anything else we can problem solve because we've constructed monetary systems we can certainly construct something that's going to make sure that everybody's, I mean, you know, this is a broad conversation now, but I work with an MP called Ronnie Cowan, who's absolutely amazing. I, you know, I love him personally. And the, the conversation around universal basic income is probably going to get flagged up even more now because of the furlough scheme that we've had. That's kind of like a universal basic income and countries that have trialed this, I think I'm no expert in this have had quite a positive success with it. So Maybe let's start signposting that.
1: So this will kind of lead me um, into your podcast a bit, because uh, for me there's some parallels in there. Um, so was it um, was it Portugal where they like was it Portugal where they said uh, made drugs like they stopped them being illegal, and I think in Portugal they also did universal basic income as well.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure actually. I'll, I'll Google that. But yeah, you're right. On I think it, it, was, it, it was Portugal in 2001 that decriminalized everything. That's it. It got to the point where, you know, it, it, was, it was a health problem. They spotted this. They had one of the worst rates of drug use <clears throat> and overdose in the, in the whole world. So at 2001, they went, well, let's do something different here, decriminalized and made it. What well, the point is, they made it a health issue. And that's essentially what Stop and Search podcasts that I do under Scooby Pitt's banner that's what this is all about is let's have a big conversation about drugs, addiction and mental health because we need it.
1: You know, I um, I, I watched uh, a TED talk with a guy quite, it's quite a while ago now. Um, and he said that, uh, that basically, you know, if people are happy and content, they very, very rarely become drug addicts. Yeah, uh, And I think they did a rat test where they gave, uh, they gave them, Certain amounts of like uh, morphine or whatever, and um, or just gave them everything they wanted. And generally, the ones who who had everything they wanted didn't go keep going back to the bottle for the morphine. And it, that really rang true for me. Um, I've worked with you know hundreds, hundreds of hard drug addicts, alcoholics, all kinds. You know, you think the whole gamut of people who have been pulled into the criminal justice system, and I've never met anyone. Who, they they were doing it for a purpose and the purpose was primarily to escape mm. you know I don't want it I can't bear what's happened in my life I can't bear the thoughts in my head so and you know, I do this drug and I don't have to deal with it you know it, mm. like, it's it gone momentarily and I don't have to worry about anything else all I've got to do is worry about this one thing there's and,
0: a you know,
1: book I'm and, oh, sorry no, that, okay, no, say, like, I've never met um, everyone I've ever worked with has had a mountain of issues before they had a drug
0: issue there's a book I'm reading at the moment called Crossing the Line with John Sutherland which I've got somewhere on my desk um, and he's actually the next episode for Stop and Search um, and there's a great line in it that he's worked with uh, someone that's been through alcoholism and they've, they said that addiction tends to be a way of self-repair and and that's what we found so much in the organisation that I work with called Leap UK that if you have got an addiction, it's chances are it's because of childhood trauma. Yeah. If it's not childhood trauma, it's because of domestic violence. They tend to be the root causes of all all addiction and mental health, obviously. And and what you were referring to there is a, an experiment called um, Rat Park by Bruce Alexander. Yeah, it's- and and it's. It's, it's a great for a narrative, because I, I know people like Susie Gage, who's, who's probably a mutual friend of ours, that's on Scubius Pips Network with Say White to Drugs, who's got, a, a, again, an incredible book. She's going to be a lot more fluent on something like this than me, because she's a scientist. But it's great for a narrative, that that project, the, the Rat Park project, because it does find that rats do self-administer if they're in a happy environment. Um, but I don't want to misrepresent it, because some people go, well, actually, it's not quite that simple. But, you know, for a story, it does work. It really does demonstrate what goes on. And I think the TED talk that you're referring to, I think, is from Johan Hari, who is a friend of mine, um, a journalist.
1: Okay, yeah, I think. I've watched, I've watched a lot of stuff like that. Though. I'm quite interested in it. So it could have been all kinds that i watched.
0: And it is, he's written two books, one called "Chase and Scream and one called Lost Connections, which I totally recommend reading because they, they really do make a perfect case of how society needs to look after everybody or else we do have addiction it's that simple if if you are not being looked after because your mental health if you're not being looked after because your physical health and you're going through domestic violence you're going to seek ways of of trying to self-repair and self-heal and alcohol and drugs are going to be that route
1: uh i totally i bought into it for i drank solidly for 10 years uh took all manner of drugs and um and all of that was just because i couldn't deal with i couldn't deal with it all. Mm. it was it was like oh, i feel better i feel more confident i don't feel like so such a piece of shit and then he was like well, i do it all the time and it was all because of that you know it was that was yeah. the whole reason why was because i was mentally unwell really um and yeah it took me a long time to kind of it took, i just had to commit to um getting better
0: mm. And, and you find that as well, that uh, once people realise that a normal life of sobriety can be rewarding, then it gets to the point where they go, actually, no, the addiction isn't serving anything for me now, therefore I need to make the changes because they found their, their route into that. But you can't force someone to go, right, ego, here here's the law saying you can't use this drug because it's bad for you, get into rehab because that just doesn't work. People need to find their own routes there through self-repair.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that applies very much to mental health. So you can't tell someone, like, oh, you just do this. And then they go, ding, better. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Everyone has to get to their own personal point of, I can't do it anymore.
0: And there's well, always a reason behind it. There's always something, yeah. you know, whether it's just chronic anxiety and, and alcohol or drugs mean that you're escaping your own reality for that brief moment. Or it's the case, as I said, domestic violence is a massive one within this. There are so many people that, especially now in lockdown, that are going through absolute hell. So yeah. what do they do? They can't get out. They need escapism in some way. Possibly East Enders and Coronation Street isn't cutting it for them. So therefore, there's the bottle over there or the line of cocaine over there. It's yeah. just, it, when you look at it laterally, Addiction just makes perfect sense and it's logical.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's like, exactly that's kind of what I've made many times. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, it's so simple. Um, all right, scoring drugs can be a pain in the ass, um, but especially like alcohol. Alcohol's uh, it's a much worse drug than most other drugs. Uh, but you can just go anywhere and buy it, and people don't even look down their noses particularly, um, and. Yeah, and there it is, boss, problem solved within a moment. I'm
0: going, to go, I'm going to read you some stats here because, I mean, I, I don't like doing the whole uh, drug comparisons because quite often people do go, well, alcohol is, doesn't count as a drug for one, which is just, you know, again, face palm.
1: Yeah, um, because... But the other
0: thing is that it's just so readily available that people just don't realise that how, how much harm it is doing. And you do get drug apologists that are going, well, no, I'm all right having a glass of wine. It's them like over there that are on cannabis or cocaine that are the problems to society and also I mean and it, well, we, it's, it's a hierarchy of stigma. People associate heroin with the worst drug users and we use the J word junkie that's what they think and then you've got the cocaine users which we tend to think of middle class and up uh, above because that's that's been trumpeted in the press as we speak. Mm-hmm. There's this whole rhetoric at the moment of middle class drug users are the, the bane of society and causing county lines which, again, is not reflective. And alcohol tends to get out of, uh, of jail-free card. But here you go. Here's a stat, and this is, again, from crossing the line with, with uh, John Sutherland. Alcohol-related harm costs around about $52 billion a year to this country. That's $52 billion. Yeah. That's what alcohol is doing to us, and yet we're not doing anything about it. We're still getting... I mean, I've seen adverts on social media going, you know, you have a drink, have a gamble. This is during lockdown.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's crazy, and it is. Um, I remember um, uh, when I first started working in probation, and uh, um, someone, someone I worked with was saying, you know, "Someone was um, withdrawing from heroin," uh, and he was like, "No one ever died from coming off of heroin, but people die from coming off of alcohol. It can kill yeah. you." It's like and that was really like shocking to me at the time because it's like well yeah no, that's heroin well that's like the worst drug in the world ever and everyone dies on it and it's like no more people die on booze
0: yeah alcohol related harm is one of the worst we've got because it's a it's so widespread mm-hmm. and b you know we we just don't take the harm seriously because we do we've be, we've got this arbitrary mindset of what is harmful and say alcohol's right down there because it's legal in quotation marks and if you look at The Lancet, <clears throat> which was um, produced by uh, Professor David Nutt, he did a harm scale of what we really should be looking at. And it's done in multi-criteria. So harm to society, harm to individuals, cost to society. And alcohol is right up there. It's top um, because of just what it does. And then you've got things like heroin, which are kind of slightly middling. Cannabis is right down the bottom. And, yeah, you're right. You know, Heroin withdrawal you know, is, is obviously terrible and bad. and and People should seek help professionally if they're going to do it because there are ways of managing that. There's there's some really good ways of managing heroin addiction. But certainly don't do anything. If you are on a drug currently, don't stop overnight on your own. Do seek help. And this is where the stigma comes in because if you're seeking help for alcohol, you can probably go to your chemist or doctor and, and, and seek advice. You can't do that as easily with the illicit ones.
1: No, 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 yeah, they no, instantly look down their nose at you. Uh, yeah. And it's funny how it's kind of weaved into our culture, um, like alcohol, um, you know, like I always get hung up on the idea of manliness and, um, and I think one of the big reasons I got into booze is because it was like, oh, it makes me feel manly yeah you know like men drink a lot and i, I was saying that like i've no to do with him in my life and like he always be like well let's get drunk and like so i'm like oh yeah i can do that that makes me more manly and accepted in some way not through his fault at all but you know do you know what i mean you, know, you kind right. of see that as you know men go down the pub and i'm and i used to love the film cocktail <laughs> uh, and the bigger guy in that um he would be teaching uh, Tom Cruise about, you know, how real men can handle their drink and fall down the right. stairs and they're all right. You, you know what? And that really, all that is seeped into my teenage brain. Like, you wouldn't believe. And uh, and then it makes you more confident and that kind of thing. Um, and it's just in, in the culture, it's like, it's, it's all right. You know, like, if you go around your mates and your mates dad gives you a beer and it's like, oh, brilliant. You know, it's like, it's all allowed. Yeah. You, or you watch, Um, Like, where are the soap operas based around? They're based around pubs. It's like, there's nothing telling you that if you want to be happy, be with people, you go to the pub. It's like, the, the culture's fucked.
0: I don't know about you, but because I I, I had to give up drinking at the age of 15 because of the illness, I realised it really doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I've only got to have half a beer and I am absolutely, not even wasted, but gone straight to the hangover period. I've had this spectator's position on alcohol culture pretty much my whole life. And when you have, you realise just how bad it is because people just don't take it seriously. And cocktails are a brilliant example. It is. It's that kind of macho drinking culture of you know handle your drink and that makes you more of a man and it's not that way at all
1: I I, I still struggle to let go of that I still if I go out I'm still like I will drink a lot and I still feel like I'm somehow it's cool and uh, and rock and roll as well rock and roll and drug use and alcohol I'm obsessed with bands and like even now like I kind of Can kind of get lost in a little dream about playing with Keith Richards or saying it's like Keith Richards, you know, this famous alcoholic drug user, and it's like, but it's all right because they're there.
0: Yeah, and it's the music industry is a brilliant example. I was, even though again, because the honest, I I was a gigging musician from 2000
1: to 2009. Were you really?
0: What did you play? Well, we should have been an originals band, but we did that classic thing where we turned into a covers band. It was, we, we started off as like, you know, the new Oasis. And then by the end of it, we were the wedding singer. It was just that kind of, oh, thing, really? sort of transition. You know, so we, you know, like I said, we did our originals and then all of a sudden we're doing five Keep On Moving and, and some, some of the other terrible ones that we did. But it's, when you're on that stage... And you see what's playing out in front of you. You know, I'm I'm standing over guitar, sober, in front of a crowd. And then, throughout the period of three hours over yeah. that night, you see things just break down. Yeah. And like, oh, that person's eyeing up that person. That person's going to fight that person over that person. But it's all alcohol. <laughs> it yeah. Really, Suddenly, we can't think well. No. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs>
1: Suddenly, my ability to think rationally has gone out the window. I wonder why that
0: is. And, and you, you mentioned Stu, uh, who, I, I love Stu, Stu is an amazing person. We
1: play together as well, so we Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Hey,
0: Stu's the gift that sort of keeps on giving, because every so often we got Distraction Pieces Network, WhatsApp, uh, so all the members that are on there, so Susie Gage, Stu and uh, Chris, uh, Dan Sack, um, every so often we, uh, we have a kind of chip along, and Stu's, Pictures from the past are amazing because he's he's done every era, isn't he? He's, he looked like Robbie Williams, and then he looked like something out of Flock of Seagulls, and it's just a yeah. gift. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: he he's he's such a uh, he is genuinely a lovely guy, and but he's I think this week he's doing a drunk cast with Pip, uh, and I think Ed Gamble and James Acaster, and famously they've done drunk cast with Romesh. and yeah. and it's like. Again, it's it's strange because yeah, they're brilliant podcasts and they're funny, but then it's like but it's getting pissed in public. Yeah, I know <laughs> and it's like I know probably goes against all core beliefs.
1: Yeah, I know, again, and then it's like, no, that's all right though, that's all right. <laughs> and uh, like he was telling me about Robinson now like trash he was and it's like and we all laugh about it. But yeah, but yeah, I can still kinda of look into it and think, That's harmed me, that that way of thinking has harmed me. But yeah, I still, you fall into these little tracks, don't you, in life, and you, you're you're kind of there again, and, you know, it reminds you of, like, when you were younger, etc. It's difficult, isn't it?
0: It's the head and heart issue, because the head wants me to watch it, just, you know, take it for what it is, just the, a bit of light and entertainment. But then the, the other side of me that's boring, and that's been involved in drug policy, looks at it and goes, I'm trying to combat alcohol culture, and then this is, this is kind of added to it. So it's it's such a difficult one for me to get my head around.
1: It's so funny when I first um, qualified as a probation officer, I like did my degree, and I, and I was like the first one in my family to have a degree. I was dead oh, yeah. myself, and um, and I was a bit of a party pooper at that point. You know, I was like, "Well, you shouldn't really say bird, should you?" And well, you shouldn't really do that, and. Over the years now, I'm just like, you know, unless someone does something extreme, I'm pretty much look just people get on and do mm. what they're going to do, and I, I I tend to let them do that. But, um,
0: here's, here's but another. Also, oh, I was going to say, is another stat for you that, that is from the same book I've been reading, Crossing the Line, John Sutherland, But it's estimated that 80 percent of all A and E is because of drinking. Yeah. 80%. you know, The, the cost that it, you know we've already just gone through, the fact that alcohol-related harm is about 52 billion to the country and that 80% of all a all and is drinking. Think of what that is doing to the taxpayer. It it's
1: got to be comparable to the amount of tax it earns, though. It's got to be more, because otherwise you know, they wouldn't do it, would they? The They're...
0: cost-benefit analysis is, is strange to watch because, yeah, in one sense, the alcohol firms are making huge amounts of money. But then cost of society is what it is. And, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to balance up. But ultimately, what do you do? Do you put health first? Do you put money first? You know, this, this is the conversation.
1: Yeah, it's a big conversation, isn't it? I think essentially we should be dealing with all kind of substance misuse issues under a health banner all day long. Can't agree with that enough. I've been saying that for quite a while. It's like, you know, if you dealt with someone with a bit of empathy or compassion, they, they might not go back. You know, right? yeah. rather than just criminalising them and, you know, making them, pushing them into those margins. Because pe- once people are in the margin, like they're like, like, well, they all hate us, so we've all got to stick together and we can't play by their rules because they won't accept us. And it's just a big fucking mess. And that's basically why I work with those people day in and day out. And you're like, I wish I could just do something to make it better. Yeah. But like, society is it's all pretty fucked.
0: That's why I'm fascinated in your job because you do see it. and And the organisation I work in is called Leap UK, so it's Law Enforcement Action Partnership. So it's people that have been undercover. So my colleague Neil Woods is quite high profile. He's written two books. He's always on the telly. Um, he was out there trying to infiltrate the, gu- the drug gangs to to you know to shut them down. He he says himself that he only made the lives of the vulnerable more unbearable. So yeah. Someone like you that's a probation officer that's that's seeing this that people have been through you know, the worst of society, the worst of their lives, potentially with substance adu- abuse and or misuse. Um, because I hate you saying substance abuse, because that, that insinuates that they're doing it wrong, which is just, <laughs> again, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, so like you that's on the front line seeing it, I'm always really intrigued of what it's like.
1: It's just, um, where are uh, like, basically with kind of county line issues, um, and they say, oh, they're just selling them to like middle-class users like that's not that's not true at all uh they're selling them to you know like the county lines are doing their best in the um like the coastal towns where you've got the most poverty you've got people who tend to go there because they've got nowhere else to go they're desperate people um and then it it is they're basically selling drugs to people who use drugs and most of those people are like hardcore drug users you know, they call them nitties, they're like, they're the people who are strung out on drugs, they're selling them to them, they're not selling them to like, they're not selling crack to posh people, that mm. just doesn't happen, it is, it's like, it's another another level of society that most of us don't see, yeah. and it's so getting fucked over, and, and the people who are supplying it, um, are normally giving it to, like, teenagers, they're, then they're the ones that are getting micked. It's not the people who are actually holding the drugs, like the people higher up. So they're just nicking all the, the poor kids who are selling to the poor users. And it's like, again, it's that pushing them into the margin. It just it's, don't
0: work. It's typical enterprise that it's always the lower rungs that are the ones taking the most risk. Yeah. And higher ups so are the ones that are getting the most reward. We're finding out with county lines all the time. And just if someone doesn't know what county lines is, just briefly describe it. So, you've got the drug model, you've got the Mr. Big, they're the ones getting the drugs, then they're pushing it down the line to teenagers that are going out, as you said, to seaside towns and and, and country towns. I live in Kent, you know, it happens around here. And yeah, the kids are the ones doing the dealing, taking a risk, not only from law enforcement, they're taking a the risk from a pound from other rival gangs. So this is a really... About their own gangs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If they do it wrong... They're barely yeah.
1: actually affiliated, they're just uh, like drones.
0: And it and this is where knife crime comes in. You know, this is all part of it as well. You know, there's territorial battles and things like that. Although yeah. that, you know, there, there's, a, there's a journalist called Max Daly that writes advice that likes to contextualise that. It's like, don't lynch completely on county lines. Youth violence tends to be because of lack of opportunity and territorial battles as well, which completely obviously... Um, but knife crime and and drug uh, and gun crime does go hand in hand with the drug trade you know it goes about saying and, it has and, and we're not doing anything about it you know the, we can't touch it someone like neil woods and, and nick castle who are two of my colleagues that are undercover you know they were there they're living the life of the tv program you know so like uh, i've never watched it but in line of duty and things like that they lived that life and yet they're the ones saying we're not touching the drug trade you need to do something different get it into the hands of regulations so that we can actually tackle this from a health position and yet they're just called kind of when they're not because we, we, we've managed to really break through with the conversation but when this when this started at drug law reform in in the early 90s when someone called danny kushnik really pushed this forward they were called loons of like oh don't be stupid drugs are illegal because they're bad but now yeah. we've got, we got to the point now where there's so much evidence that the chances are you're kind of a little bit behind and, dare I say, it's stupid if you're not caught up to the conversation of why a health-based approach is the way that we should go. And that's heartening in itself.
1: I, I agree. And I think, like, um, you know, even with the Americans kind of, uh, the change of cannabis laws there, I think that's made a huge difference. And I, what I see now is everyone's like, well, it's virtually legal, isn't it? And you're like, no, you'll still get nicked. And if you piss, if, if they're after you anyway, you're going to get done for no matter what you've got. Um, it's funny because um, like I, I know quite a few police um, officers and I've often, and not, not all of them by any means, but I've often been shocked by how unrealistic they are in their attitudes to things. It's like, if you smoke a joint, you're a drug addict, yeah. you know? Um, and how could you let your life fall away like that? You know, they talk to me, you know, in know, days when I used to smoke loads of weed, and they go like, but you're a drug addict. So I was like, no, I'm not. I mean, I might be an alcoholic, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, like, no, I'm not. And it's like, it's almost, I get it, because um, sometimes with the law, there needs to be a bit of that's right and that's wrong, because otherwise it... it it can get so muddy. I totally get it. I've stood in court so many times thinking, what the fuck's going on? And it gets really, really muddy. And I understand that someone has to go, no, that's wrong. But um, I just get bothered about the lack of the human seems to come out of it. Uh, the lack of that they're actually dealing with a person and there's a reason why they are where they are. Uh, and, and I think people with mental health often don't do that well sometimes with yeah. the police. If you haven't got a compassionate officer going in there who understands a little bit, then, you know, they, they just don't get a good good deal by the police. You get put in a cell and that's it.
0: And then, It's crucial what the front line is. If, if your front line service is a police officer that is a little bit reticent in grasping compassion and mental health understanding, then, yeah, you're going to go through the mill. But If yeah. you're... Front, if you're <laughs> As again, going to the doctor and going, actually, I might need a little bit of help. Then, you know, hopefully we can get somewhere. And you saying about the law setting precedent, um, just to get really geeky on you. Yeah, go on. There's, there's, a, there's a chief constable, a former chief constable that I work with called Tom Lloyd, And he's really good on this point because he, he's you know he's out there doing speeches all the time. And he makes the point that there's two kinds of law. We've got mala in se, which is Latin. Mala in se means uh, it's an evil within itself. So murder, rape—there's you know, a victim at the end of this. Then you've got mala Prohibitum, which is a state-sanctioned law. So you, know, you can't do that. You know, don't don't walk on the grass because uh, don't put that in your body because. So there's ways that the law differentiates. We know how to kind of segregate the two. So originally, when the Misuse of Drugs Act in, was conceived in 1971 they put it in a mala prohibitum of going, right, we think this is immoral because we don't want people to be using bad things, so therefore we're now making it illegal. Well, you can turn that on its head of like, well, you, what you've actually done there is you've essentially and tacitly made addiction illegal. So if you are suffering, then you're a bad person because you're suffering because of drug use. And if you're not suffering and you're using drugs, fine. You know, if you're out there using it E at the weekend, you know how to do it, then you're not having a problem. So the law actually makes the, the very situation that it's trying to solve worse because it's made more harms, it's made more stigma where people can't seek help, and it's made mental health something that we can't touch because it's all suddenly embroiled in substance use. So this is where it all falls apart if you actually just turn it on its head logically.
1: I think about the amount of times when I've like worked with people and uh, they've got they've got a mental health problem, and I you know I'm. Not qualified to diagnose, but I'm qualified enough to be able to see one, yeah. and then um, and I'll be like, right, I need to do a referral. They'll go for a referral, and they'll say, nah dual diagnosis, or you know, basically, they're they're using drugs, so we can't treat it. Yeah, and you're like, can't you see? <laughs> Surely, can't there must be a link? There. and it's like, well, help, you know. Well, then basically, no one's going to do anything. Mm. It just fucking drives me mad, because it's really simple, actually. The mental health worker could, pro- could probably make the most headway in that point. You know, it just just, just a couple of sessions might make a big difference. But no, we can't, you know, because it's cash-linked, isn't it?
0: It's it's like that whole analogy of putting the cart before the horse. You see it all the time in judge uh, judges' courtrooms. They say the first thing on the sheet is drug use quite often a judgment would be made of like, Oh, you're a bad person because you're putting that in your body as opposed to going, right. Okay. I've been abused as a child. I've been a victim of domestic violence and therefore my mental health is in a poor state. I've sought my way into this because of self healing and self repair and it's not worked. Yeah. Let's just be a little bit more forgiving, understanding and compassionate. It doesn't take much. And we all know that it has better results. Mm -hmm. We all know that care and compassion works better than the stick. So why don't we use it more and better and fund it better? Because that's the other thing. I mean, you've probably known better than me, but the funding into these streams are just not there. We put all emphasis on law and order and not enough on on holistic health.
1: Yeah, yeah. And not a lot of is Like, yeah, I've been first-hand knowing that. We are, we're coming up towards, we've done over an hour. Oh, blind lovely. It, I know, it's nice. Isn't it goes <laughs> quick. And <laughs> like, just enjoying the conversation, it's been lovely. So, what I'd like to do, I tend to try and keep everything to about an hour. Uh, what I'd like to do is kind of finish up with some um, handy hit, uh, tips and hints. You know, like you were saying earlier about uh, stuff that you're doing on this new podcast, some tips that people can kind of take away with them. I'd like to finish on something like that, if I can.
0: Yeah, sure. So, so they'll have to properly go for it. I'm going to go my other half, because she she will sit down on the sofa, flick through her phone, and it is just, before she knows it, she's got to go to bed. So make sure (laughs) you sit there you get the right accompaniment, so the, the lighting. I've, I'm such a. I can see Gonzo in your background.
1: I just had to move because it wasn't doing very well, but yeah, look, that's a skateboard with oh, that me.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, i to break off from that, but if I've seen Gonzo in your wall, I need to make a <laughs> reference to that. <laughs> yeah,
1: skateboard to Gonzo. Uh, I think initially, uh, this is like a copy of what uh, initially it was Prince. Wow. And then uh, they did a copy for
0: the, this skater. And but, I see Darth Vader as well. Yeah,
1: that's my friend Jim Quinn did that. Yeah, Mike, this is my special room. It's just full up of... I love it. Shit I'm, and... I'm
0: a proper Star Wars geek. Is my I don't know if you can see it, but it's my glass. Ah, nice. Yeah, I am a proper Star Wars geek. If which, again, might... is another one of my kind of tips is indulging stuff. So I, I like to indulge in Star Wars yeah. wrestling... Uh, as much as I probably shouldn't admit it because I'm a 40-year-old man now, but Harry Potter, you know, it's a world where you can lose yourself in. So make sure, again, you indulge yourself in the worlds that you need, whether it's literary, whether it's film or music. Really absorb it. You know, don't just kind of sit there and let it skim over you, but, you know, find your way into it. Find your niches. I think that's really important because escapism, we all need it one way or another. I think that's... So let's make sure that we do properly escape.
1: That's really, really nice and it's really, really simple. Like, indulge yourself in things that aren't going to harm you.
0: Yeah. Because, again, you know, you, we can indulge ourselves in food. I know a lot of people have got food addiction, and, and that's certainly something that's on the same scale as drug addiction. Absolutely. So, it's, dif- it's difficult to kind of, you know, by all means, have the right accompaniments. So if you do need a nice drink of some sort where it doesn't have to be alcoholic, you know, have that around you as well. But, you know, try and have that not necessarily as the forefront, have something that's a little bit more holistic. Again, i keep saying the word holistic. But again, the lighting I've got is it's so geeky. I've got star projectors. I've got um, uh, Northern Lights lava lamp. And it looks like the Undertaker's entrance every time that I sit down at night because it's just kind of lights everywhere. But it works for me. So if you can do that, smells as well, indulge all the senses. So I've got smelly candles, that. Uh, that are manly, I assure you they're manly. I've got um, one that's redwood. Man, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't,
0: as a rule, don't like floral because, because I get migraines. I find the floral really kind of set them off. So I like woody stuff, and there's one I've got that does kind of smell a bit like WD 40, which is quite nice. So if you can, set all your senses up lights, smell, taste if you need it. You know, at the moment, I'm a little bit addicted to Milky Bar, which I don't know where that's come from, but I've got through. I think about 30 bars during lockdown, which is unusual for me because I don't normally go down the, the eating route. But that, that one, yeah, I don't know how that's happened. But just again, just really indulge yourself. And also, there's a, I think there's a right balance. And this is what the, the podcast, So I Started Revolution for My Beds, about the balance between being nostalgic and if you can remember the good times. So remember the holidays that you've had, the simple things like the toys that you used to enjoy playing with. If you did have a good childhood, if you didn't have a good childhood, obviously don't go down that route. But also don't be too nostalgic where you're not looking forward. So try and position yourself where you do go, okay, I've got this coming up. That's going to be cool. I'm going to focus on that. So at the moment it's difficult because of lockdown. But if you've got a comedy event, a gig, a music venue that you really want to get back to, it's going to open up again. It will get there. So focus on what that's like. Remember what that environment is like. Feel it, taste it. And you will get back there. So keep focused; that it will happen, and you will get that entertainment streak back.
1: Yeah, I like that. There's a difference between uh, like reminiscing and melancholia. Yeah, you know, like uh, yeah, it's all right to reminisce about nice things, but as long, yeah, then don't take those links into bad things. That's what yeah. I have the habit of doing. And I'm kind of training my brain out of that now. Oh, that's great! I love that. That's brilliant in there. I think. Oh, really Thank like you. that.
0: Indulge yourself, and why not? Yeah, make sure you do as well because I think you've earned it definitely with what you all that you're doing on this and the fact that you're now an ambassador is just incredible. That's amazing. So make sure you indulge yourself because you've earned your rest. And that's the other thing: if you can earn your rest because it's so much more rewarding if you have done something. Go, okay, now I can sit down and ease down because quite often in in times like this. It can be a little bit of a strange dynamic because you're in your own surroundings and, again, I'm used to that. So if you can do something, of like, okay, I've, I've achieved. Don't have to achieve every day because don't put unwarranted pressure on yourself. But relaxation is always nicer when you have kind of done something.
1: Yeah, that's why I've been, like, decorating. and I'm like, I might not start early and I might not finish late, but I've achieved something and now I can have my evening kind of yeah. thing. It does work. I totally, totally agree.
0: And one last point is you've made a perfect example there. Do things at your own pace because mm. it's so easy to kind of go by what you think the world's pace is. And for people like me, that does not work. I can't go by the world's pace. So maintain your own pattern You know, make sure that you do what you need to do the way you need to do it and at the times you need to do it. That's crucial.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's great, man. I'm going to leave it there because that was perfect oh brilliant thanks sir. thank you it so much Jason uh, I really appreciate it it was so cool to get to speak to you yeah finally so yeah. natural and easy it's lovely we'll have to catch up another time
0: yeah definitely that'd be brilliant I, and I'm definitely going to be in contact with you of various different projects and things as well if that's alright
1: I'm always out for getting involved with things always brilliant. always any time oh thank you mate thank, Bye. You. Bye. thank you so much having me